This morning we're going to open up with a, uh, a word from the Lord in Romans chapter 12. Y'all go on and turn there, Romans chapter 12. You've got a pretty great morning. Whenever I get finished is when all the kids will come up. I know you'd rather see them anyway. But uh, so, um, yeah, we're, we're talking about that. And so I hope that you are, if you are visiting with us, that you do feel welcome and and, uh, you know, feel free to grab a bulletin, see some of the things that we have going on. It's a busy time of year for us, um, so just get involved. You're welcome to ask any one of us some of the ministries that we've got going on if you're looking for a place to serve. Romans chapter 12, and I'll just be reading verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If you would bow your heads in prayer with me this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word that, that you've given to us this morning. Lord, it's what we want to do today, even in this service. Lord, we come together to love one another, serve one another, bear each other's burdens in prayer, to give to, to, the, to these, uh, these missionaries, um, through, through our Lottie Moon, Lord, we, we, we want to give to the saints and for the furtherance of your gospel. Lord, we want to have and show this hospitality and this love. And we want to do it, Father, under the banner of Christ, the greatest display of love, of hospitality, of service. Father, you have shown us the way and you've enabled us to do the same. So, Lord, we ask you this morning, as you bless us through, through song, by these children, the worship team, through prayer, the preaching of your word, Lord, that you guide us, that you meet with us and you move in a way to just show us true worship, that we would glorify you, that you would be made great here at Union Baptist Church this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's have our ushers come forward at this time. And we are, just a, as the video is reminding us, we are uh, taking up our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We've set a goal of 2000 You can see the IMB is doing great work. There's, there's many great missionaries that God has called already. There are others, as we said last week, that, that have the longing and desire to go, but at least in, in terms of being able to go through the IMB at this point are not able to just because the funding is not there. And so I, I would ask you to consider giving to that. 100% of that offering goes directly to the International Mission Board, and there are envelopes in, in the back for that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we know the reality is that people need to hear the gospel. They need to know your son, Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we're seeking to be faithful to do that in our own community, in our own uh, families, in the town that we live, in, in the area, the region that we live in. But Lord, we know that you've commissioned us as your disciples, not only to be concerned with our immediate area, uh, but as Acts 1.8 says, the remotest parts of the earth. Lord, we're thankful for your blessing on the International Mission Board. Uh, and, and we pray that you would allow that to continue to be a fruitful ministry. We pray that you would use us, our generosity, and the, the provision that you've given to us uh, to be able to help continue fund that and even increase the work that they're doing. We pray that we would be generous givers, that we would be joyful givers. We know that you love a joyful and a cheerful giver. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. I'll take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And the kids can head out there. While you're turning there, I want to just mention that we did recently just purchase new pew Bibles, which are the English Standard Version, and that's the version that I preach from. Uh, if you don't have a Bible here with you this morning, you're, you're welcome to, uh, to use one of those. It's on page 919. And if you're a visitor with us and you don't have a, a Bible or don't have an ESV, uh, you feel free to take that with you. We bought some extras to, to replenish those, so that's our gift to you. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 29. We're continuing our series this morning. This is what Paul, uh, or the Lord says through the Apostle Paul to us. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We've been talking as we've going through the book of Ephesians, we've been talking about this, this spiritual growth process. We, we remember that when God saves us, that is not the end of our journey. That is merely the beginning of it. God has a plan for your life that preeminently or, or primarily, I should say, involves your growth as a Christian. That's, what's, that's what God's goal is for you. If you're one of his children, if you are a believer, his plan for your life is that you grow spiritually in the image of Christ. Paul taught that as believers, if we've been saved, that our lives then ought to be distinct because in a sense, as he says uh, somewhat in this way, that we've been to the school of Jesus Christ. He says in Ephesians 4.17, back at verse 17, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And we remember that Paul is writing to Ephesians who are Gentiles and he's saying you must no longer walk as you are accustomed to walk. Don't be Gentiles anymore. And verse 20 tells us the reason that, that that ought to be. He goes on to explain the way that they used to live as Gentiles. But in verse 20, uh, verse 20, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And he goes on to say, what is that lesson? What is it that we've learned as we've come to Jesus Christ, as we've been to the school of Jesus Christ, in a sense? What is it that we've learned that would make our lives different than they used to be? And the answer is that we've learned that we are to put off our old sin nature and that we are to put on Christ. There's this change process that is going on in us. 
We're putting off who we used to be. We're laying it aside like you take off a garment, like you take off a coat. We're taking off our old sinful practices and behaviors. We're laying them aside and then we're taking Jesus Christ and we're putting him on and we're living as Christ lived. That, that identity that we have, that new nature or the new self that we are to put on is Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul can say in Galatians 2.20, and we've quoted it several times, Paul can say, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. If you are a believer, Jesus Christ should be living in you and through you in such a way that your character is being changed. You are becoming a new person. You are reflecting the image of Jesus Christ. Paul said again in 2 Corinthians 5, 6, 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And so we ought to be in this change process. Well, Paul didn't just leave it in sort of the, uh, on, and just saying this, but he gave us some examples of what, what does that look like, okay? And so he said, here's what it looks like. Verse 25, your old self, you are to put away falsehood. You should no longer be speaking things that are not true. You are to put away the practice of speaking falsehood and you are to put on truth. You are to be people who speak the truth. Verse 26, he gave another example. You are to put away anger. We should not, as God's people, as those who are new in Jesus Christ, we should not be an angry people. We're to lay that aside, and we are to put on, and Jared did a, a wonderful job presenting this, we are to put on uh, peacemaking and being reconcilers and being forgivers. You see that in 30 and uh, 31 as well. And then verse 28, we talked about last week, as those who are in, new in Christ Jesus, we are to put off, we are to get rid of stealing any kind of dishonest gain out of our life, and we are in the place of that to put on hard work and generosity. Those take the place. And so uh, this work of Christ in is a total transformation. Uh, the, the gospel doesn't just say, hey, don't steal anymore. Don't try to restrict, you know, you use some bad language sometimes. Don't just try not to do that quite as much. You, you're used to tell lies. Try not to tell so many lies. Try to do a little bit better with that. No, no, the gospel totally transforms us so that what used to be true of us before we came to Christ, now the exact opposite is true of us. Where we were, where we were seeking to get dishonest gain before, now not only are we working hard to have what we've worked for, but we're generous givers, the, the exact opposite. That's the kind of transformation that happens in the gospel. This morning, what we're going to call our attention to and what the Apostle Paul calls our attention to this morning is the transformation and what it looks like, what that transformation looks like in terms of our speech. You know, speech, the things that we say, our words, I would say is one of the hottest battlefronts in this sanctification process. Paul talks about us being in a spiritual battle. And, and in terms of that, the, the, the words that we use, our speech, is one of the hottest battlefronts in that war of sanctification. Listen, the Bible teaches that controlled speech 
is one of the unmistakable, unmistakable identifiers of spiritual maturity. So in James chapter 3, verse 2, James says this, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. And that doesn't mean sinless. It means that he is mature. He is a mature believer. So one of the uh, unmistakable identifiers of maturity in Christ is that you are someone who is able to bridle your tongue. You're able to rein in your speech. It's an unmistakable identifier, so much so that James later on says, or earlier actually in the book of James, he says that if anyone doesn't know how to control his tongue, that his religion is worthless. Uh, that's how much of an indicator this is that God's work is going on in our life. Jesus himself taught that our speech is extremely important. You know, sometimes we make a distinction, don't we, between words and actions. There is somewhat of a distinction, no doubt. You know, say he's, he's just all talk and, and no action. But sometimes we make a, a distinction that I don't think we should. We, we treat words as if they are not actions. We treat words as if they are unimportant. But the reality is the Bible and Jesus teach that words, in a sense, are actions and that we will be judged for the things that we say, not just the things that we do. Sometimes we think as long as it's just a matter of words, then it's, it's no big deal. Even our children sometimes will manifest. I didn't actually do anything. I just said it, right? But saying it is a sort of action and will be judged by God. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36. I tell you on the judgment day, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. The reason that we will either be justified or condemned on the judgment day by what we say is because our words are a true reflection of our heart. Jesus taught that as well in that same passage earlier. He says to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? And then he says this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So the reason on the judgment day that God will treat our words as actions is because our words are a reflection, a true indicator of what's going on in our hearts. If God has changed your heart, your words will demonstrate that change. And Jesus says, by your words, you will be justified. Not that what you say is what saves you. It, it is that your words will demonstrate that you truly are one of his children, that this change has occurred. And so by your words, that will be a reflection of your heart and you will be justified. But if your words do not demonstrate that your heart has been changed, if they are a reflection, if your words are a reflection of an evil, an angry, a selfish heart, then your words will condemn you on judgment day. So back to Ephesians 4, now that we just see the importance of words, we want to see what exactly Paul calls us to do. The big idea this morning or the main point of the passage that we're looking at is this. As those who are new in Christ, we need to get rid of any rotten speech and instead speak in ways that edify 
and minister God's grace to one another. We need to get rid of rotten speech. That's the first point this morning, and, and I'm using that word because that's the word that comes from our text. He says in, in verse 29, back in, in Ephesians chapter 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That word corrupting talk is, is a word that means rotten. It means putrid, bad, or of bad quality. It's used in other places of rotten wood, withered flowers, and rancid fish. It's used, Jesus uses it in Luke 6, 43, when he says, no good tree bears bad fruit. Good trees don't bear rotten fruit. It means literally putrid. And then as Paul is using it here in a, in a figurative way, Hodge, Charles Hodge indicates that, that it means offensive or injurious. You know, when you think about our words, our words defile the person that uses them. The rottenness, in a sense, spreads. When we use rotten, corrupted, putrid words, it defiles us. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a person. But not only does do, do rotten words defile us, but, but the reason the translators here use this word corrupting is because it, it's, it's a sense of which the, the rottenness the corruption of our words when we use them, it not only defiles us, but it spreads the rottenness to others. It's just like fruit. If you put a piece of bad fruit in with others, right? The rottenness spreads. The words themselves are corrupt words. They're rotten words. And because of this, they have a corrupting effect. Rottenness spreads. Decay spreads. Infection spreads, mold spreads, cancer spreads, and so with corrupt words, they spread their corruption. One person says corrupt words are worthless and lead others to think on the worthless. Well, this morning as we think about this, what, what kind of words is it that Paul has in mind? What is it that he's talking about when he says, let no rotten, let no corrupting communication or, or words proceed from your mouth? I would define it in this way. It's any word that is sinful, any word or words that, that is sinful either by its own unholy nature or by its intent to hurt others. So let's think this morning about some categories of language that the Bible is Bible clearly condemns. The first is this, and I was helped by, by John Piper uh, in, in these categories, but uh, the, the first is this, those words that minimize or trivialize weighty matters. Corrupt words are words that minimize or trivialize weighty realities. So words like the name of God, God and Jesus Christ, when we use those words as swear words, we are misusing them. The, of course, the Bible teaches in Exodus 27 not to use the Lord's name in vain. And, and what's going on there is that we're taking something that is of value, something that we ought to respect, something that we ought to reverence and hold in honor, and we're devaluing it. We're using it in a light and a trivial way. Not only should I think... This implies that clearly not only should we not use any name of God 
or any reference to God as, as sort of a swear word, I really think any derivative of that, and we can sometimes be guilty of, of Christian cussing, right? I think, oh my gosh, and, and these kind of words are, are clearly, they're trying to elicit in our mind the same reality, even if it's not the identically same word. I would stray away from using that in any way. That, that command says that the Lord will not hold him guiltless who uses his name in vain. Then there are words like hell and damn. Being damned by God and hell are weighty and terrible realities, and the Christian who truly believes in them as, as swear words. And nothing could be further from the spirit of love that we as Christians are called to have than, than calling on God to damn someone or send them to hell. That, that just doesn't compute. And that's why Jesus says, you know, you say, well, I don't really mean I want them to go to hell. I don't really mean that I want God to damn them. But Jesus said, we will be held account by every careless word. How can we take these weighty realities and, and direct them in that way, either intentionally or even if there's not intention, just in a careless and, and cold kind of way? Second, there are those words that are out of place or crude. So in, in Ephesians 5, just one chapter over verse 4, uh, he says this, Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So the Bible has this, has this category, and, and I know sometimes... Uh, it's difficult for us because there's a certain subjective element in every culture that you go to. They have different words that kind of fall into this category, uh, into these categories. But, but every culture seems to have words that are recognized as being unseemly, vulgar, obscene, crude, and which are, as the Apostle Paul says, just simply out of place. Christians, we should not use those kind of words. And I know we can become too prudish. I know that we can become too sensitive uh, about certain things and certain realities, but, but the truth is that that's not the danger I think our culture is, is in right now. The, the danger that our culture as a secular culture is that nothing is crude. Nothing is out of bounds. There's, there's nothing that makes anyone blush. And so certain things I think are private matters and should not be brought in to public conversation and, and discord discourse but when this verse talks about any rotten word or any talk that that should not come out of our mouth it's talking more than just about curse words hopefully we understand that it includes those things but i think it, it's talking about more than that we spread rottenness and corruption with with more than just four-letter swear words the pro bible provides other categories that would fit this broad term of corrupting language I said that words uh, could be corrupt either by their unholy nature, that's kind of what we've been looking at, first of all, or by their intent to harm. And so this is kind of the second category of, of things that we can, words that can have a corrupting effect, rotten words that we need not let come out of our mouth. One is just careless words, careless words. How often are we able to just let things come out of our mouth that, we, that end up hurting that end up offending, that, that bring some problem, that, that are an insult in some way to someone else? 
and we really didn't have the in, uh, intention there. We weren't trying to hurt someone, but we were just so careless in what we said that, that hurt came to them because of our carelessness. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, if you just go around and you're careless all the time with what you're saying, you're not thoughtful. You don't think about how this would impact or affect that person. It's like walking around with a sword and just gouging people, right? That, that's what it's like. And, and the foolish person is like that with his words. He's just rash with his words. The reason that is for, for many of us is that we simply talk too much. Uh, Proverbs ten nineteen says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. A lot of the times when those things that are harmful or offensive to others are coming out of our mouths, it's just a time when we probably would have been better served to just keep our mouths closed. You cannot exercise the kind of caution that is required with your words if you're simply talking all the time. So careless words are corrupting words. Not only that, but intentionally hateful or demeaning words like name-calling. Jesus says that, that whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. That word, whoever insults his brother, is really just one word and, and it has the idea in the English language it would be something, something like you know, just calling someone an idiot or saying you know, you're you good for nothing. That's the kind of connotation that that word has in, in the Greek language. And we need to be careful that we don't carelessly use those kind of names and calling one another. You know, in that passage there, Jesus is, is speaking against angry, a- anger and hatred. And, and when we use our words and we insult people with our words, it, it's kind of an expression of that anger and hatred in our heart. And that's what Jesus is teaching there. When, when you call someone an idiot or you, you, you kind of use some name to, to, to uh, cut them down, uh, what, what you're doing is an expression of, of anger and hatred. And the Bible condemns that. That's what Jesus is condemning there. And so often, again, we think, well, I didn't hit them. I didn't physically do anything to them, so I guess I'm okay. But, but you see there where Jesus said, we're going to give an account for every careless word. It's not just our physical, literal actions that we will give an account for, but even our words, because our words are an expression of the anger that's in our heart. And so Jesus is concerned about your heart. That, that, that's what he wants to see. He's not just worried that you can restrain your, your sin out here. He wants your heart to be changed. And, and if you're using words like that, it's an indicator that you have an, a hateful and angry heart. This is true, you know, calling names and, and, and speaking about people in this way. This is true even when people speak against us. We as Christians are still to restrain our words. You say, well, I did pretty good. And then he said something about me, so I said something about him. But we know that our Savior, it says of him that when he was reviled, he reviled not again. He didn't speak against those who spoke against him. And Peter says that we are to live that way as well. Jesus said to bless those who curse you. It's it's completely inconsistent to bless God and then to curse those who are made in God's image, James says in, in James 3.10. And so 
any intentionally hateful, demeaning, name-calling. Then there's slander and, and gossip. Gossip is, is telling something about someone that, that may be true, but with the intention of hurting them. Slander is telling something about someone that is in some way false. But these are twin sins. They, they go hand in hand, and the Bible roundly condemns them. Proverbs 11.9 says, With his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor. Our words can be an, an act of harming our neighbor. And slander and gossip do that very thing. And then there is grumbling and, and complaining. Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know that God brought judgment on the Old Testament people because they grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. I said that, that our language has the effect of spreading our, our sin to other people. It's, it has a corrupting effect. And this is one of the clearest examples. When we're discontent, when we're unhappy, when we don't have joy in our lives, and we grumble and complain, it just spreads that discontentment to everyone around us. So this is another kind of a form of corrupting communication. But notice what he says here. There are others that we could talk about, other forms of of talk that are corrupting. Uh, but, but notice what he says here in verse 29 again. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Here, here's the picture. I, I like the way that he words that. Don't let it come out of your mouth. It, it's the idea, uh, it, it gives the picture, doesn't it? That, that we're guarding what's coming out of our mouths. Like, like we're, we're being careful, we're being cautious, we're being thoughtful before we just let these words blurt out. You know, some people say, oh, oops, that just slipped out. I, I didn't mean to say that. And, and that's true. That can happen for all of us. But when we do that, we're failing to heed this command because we are to be on guard. We are to be cautious and not careless. The, the Christian cannot afford to be careless in his or her behavior. We're called to, to be active in, in engaging with this growth process, which means we've got to think about every word that comes out of our mouth before it does. Proverbs 13.3 says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. And Proverbs 16.23 says, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious. Judicious. That's a hard word to say for me. Judicious. So we are to be careful about what we say. We need to be guarded in our speech. You, you know, some of you are, are like the people who say, well, oh, I'm, I'm the kind of person I just say what I think. It comes to my mind, and, and I say it. But, but what Paul is saying here, as a new person in Christ, that might have been who you are by your character, by, by your old person, the old self, but Paul is saying, no, no, lay that aside. Get rid of that. Part of your growth, then, is to not be that person anymore. That, that's not wise. You are to be guarded in what you say. Proverbs 10.19 again says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. We are to be on guard. Listen, our hearts are full of sin. And because of that, there are many times that what is, comes to our mind needs to be repented of rather than verbalized. That you, you understand what I'm saying? There's sin that's in our heart and it wants to just come up out of our mouth. But if we're believers in Jesus Christ and we're following him and we're being faithful to him, we need to recognize that thought just came to my mind. But the right thing for me to do is to repent of that thought 
rather than to verbalize it. I don't need to say that. We need God's help in this process. The psalmist in Psalm 143 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. We need to pray that God would help us guard our speech. Just because you thought it doesn't mean you need to say it. Well, that's what we need to lay aside. What, what do we need to put on? Because remember, this is not just about moralism. This isn't just about trying to do better and not do what is, what is bad. But, but those who are in Christ are those who are being transformed. It, we are those who are laying things aside, but we're also those who are putting some things on. And what is it that we are to put on here? In verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but, here's the contrast, only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So our words should have the effect of edifying or building up. This, this word to build up literally is the word for a building or as a verb, the, the process or the act of building. But it's used figuratively here of the idea of edifying. It ought to be that which is beneficial to other people. We know you can tear down with your language. You, you can demolish, but you can also build up. You can edify others by your speech. So our words then should encourage they should edify in the sense that they should encourage, uh, they can either encourage sin or righteousness. Let me say that. Our, our words can either tear down by encouraging sin or they can edify by encouraging righteousness. So think about that. When people walk away from you, from a conversation with you, are they either through your words inclined more towards sin or are they inclined more toward the things of the Lord? Are they inclined more toward holiness and righteousness? Or after talking to you, have they been corrupted by sin? We can pass on in our language sin. We, we can have a corrupting effect. We can pass on our lust. We can pass on our anger through our words. We can pass on our discontentment. We can pass on our pride, our rebellion, our blasphemy, our unholiness, our hatred. All of those things can be passed on in a corrupting kind of way to those with whom we speak. Or if, if our speech is guarded, if it's careful, it's, if it's thoughtful, our, our speech can pass on joy. It can pass on peace and contentment, love and righteousness and a reverence for God. So you need to think about that. Will, will my words sp spread my own sin to others like an infection or will it spread righteousness and holiness? Listen, a lot of you, have, I've noticed, are very careful about not spreading germs. We, we have in our community a lot of germaphobes, I believe. And we got people that are using Germex all the time. We're, we got people that, if you have the slightest sniffle, won't go out of the house for two weeks. And we got people that, that are just very careful and very particular about not spreading and not receiving germs. And I guess that's a, a good thing, although it seems a little, a little OCD or something to me at times, okay? Uh, but, oh, that we would have that concern not to spread our sin to one another. A lot of times we're so, we're so careful. I, I don't want to shake hands. I, I've been coughing a little bit. I might have something. I don't want to pass it to you. 
right? I'm, I'm not going to go out to this party because the kids have been sick and I think they're better, but I'm not sure. I don't want to pass that. But we are so careless in spreading our sin, our hatred, our anger, the gossip that more careful. Our words can encourage sin or they can encourage righteousness. Our words can tear down or they can build up. People can be personally hurt or helped by our words. Are others, as if you think about your words, are, are others going to be unnecessarily offended? I say unnecessarily because there's times when you need to speak the truth to them, but, but are they going to be unnecessarily offended or will your words be an encouragement to them? You need to think about, are my words going to cause damage to others? Or will those who hear my words be strengthened and helped? You know, love is the ultimate priority in everything that we do as Christians. And love ought to be the ultimate priority in the words that we choose. You see the exclusiveness of this command? He says, only, only speak these things. Go back to verse 29 again but only such as is good for building up. Literally, it's whatever. Just, just speak the things that are good for building up. You say, well, you know, 80% of my words build up and yeah, 20% probably tear down or cause people to think about things they shouldn't think about. But we as believers, the goal ought to be 100%. We ought to only be speaking things that edify, things that build up, and things that minister the grace of God. And it says only as such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Literally, that means as meets the need. In other words, you're thinking not just about yourself, but you're thinking about others when, when you speak. Literally, it's ed the edification of the necessity to build up whatever the need is. In other words, I see this need here and I'm going to use my words to edify. I'm going to use my words to build up. I'm seeing, I see that this brother or sister is discouraged. I'm going to use my words to build them up. I see that this brother or sister is struggling with sin. I'm going to, that there's a need there that I'm going to use my words to build that up. We need to be cautious and careful with our words. They are to be those things that, that, that build up, that fits the occasion. You know, wisdom involves saying the right thing at the right time time. Proverbs 25 11 says this, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover, a reprover to a listening ear. One person said this, these proverbs emphasize the circumstantial nature of speaking wise words. It is simply not the case that proverbs are effectively or even truly spoken in every situation. Sometimes the wise person needs to remain silent. The wisdom formula is to speak the right word to the right person at the right time. And that's what he's saying here, as fits the occasion, whatever the need is. Christian, there are some things that are true, but in the moment they are not the thing that needs to be said. That's what he's talking about in, in, in the book of Proverbs here, that, that it's not enough to say a proverb to say something that's true. It's, it's got to be said in the right time and in the right place. A prudent man conceals knowledge, the book of Proverbs 
tells us. That, that means he doesn't always say everything that he knows. There are times when we need to be silent. And there are other people who think that they've got to speak the truth no matter what, no matter the situation, no matter the person, no matter the time. If it's true, I need to say it. But listen to what Proverbs 26, 9 says. A proverb in the mouth of a fool is like a thorny branch brandished by a drunk. So it's like this guy is walking around and he's just hitting everybody because he's got a thorn bush and he's swinging it around, but he's drunk and he's staggering around. That's what a, a, a person who's a fool that happens to know this little kernel of wisdom or this little bit of truth, but they don't know when to say it and how to say it, the right timing, the right place, in the right situation. And that's what Paul is saying here. We need to, we need to say what builds up as it fits the need, as it fits the occasion. We must ask, not only is this true, but is this edifying? Is it needed in this moment? What kind of speech builds up? I'll say this quickly as we close this morning. What is it that, that builds up? First is the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ. So we think about the coming of Jesus Christ into the world and we celebrate Christmas. We can remember that the angels came and what did they bring? They bring good tidings. They brought gospel. They brought good news. That is something that we ought to be speaking to everyone all the time. That is the gospel. It is good news. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. That's the kind of speech that builds up. There's the, the truth of God's word. We need to speak the truth to one another. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We talked about this on Wednesday night. We ought to be so filled with the word of God that in our conversations, in our language, that wise counsel and the truth of God's word flows out from our mouths to one another. In fact, that is the means that builds up the church. We saw that in, in chapter 4, verse 15 of Ephesians. We are to speak the truth in love. There are other things like encouragement, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says we are to encourage the faint-hearted. Even a rebuke or admonition at times, there's counsel and, and advice that we can give. Even for our enemies, Jesus says that we are to bless those who curse us. We are to pray for them. So we have to use our speech to pray for those who are our enemies. And notice what it says here, and we will close with this, that, that our words minister the grace of God. Ephesians 4 19 or 29 rather uh, only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear just imagine this God is allowing you to be part uh, uh, of his work in other people's life through your language you can either tear them down you can be an instrument of unrighteousness in their life or you can be a grace dispenser you can be one who God chooses to allow his grace to flow from you to other people. You can be a means of grace to other people by the words that you say to them. So we ought to be those who are cautious in this area. We ought to be guarded in our speech. We ought to let the Lord speak through us that our words might give grace to those who hear. Pray with me this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the change that he has brought into our lives. And Lord, we do recognize, though, that, that in so many ways we continue to fall short. 
in so many ways, we have a long, long way to go. And God, I dare say, I know for myself this is true, and I dare say that for most of us here, we recognize and allow unholy and profane, crude things to come out of our mouth. Oftentimes, we, we use our mouths as vehicles to exercise our anger and hatred for one another. As your word tells us, these things ought not to be. Help us change our speech. We pray that we would put those things away and that we would put on Christ. We think of Christ, the one who spoke words of life the one who could uh, rebuke but did so in love, always that it would edify. Lord, let our speech be a means of your grace to one another that our church might be built up into the image of Christ. We pray it in Christ's name, amen.